1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This was the headline in yesterday's Athletic. The look at why and how the Eagles fell apart so quickly. 4312 words. If you read every one of them, I'll send you a t-shirt. As I said last night, my guess is far fewer than 4,312 people read all 4,312 words. I don't want to get into a rant here about these long reads, but folks, nobody reads all of them. No one is reading all of them. Not even the mothers of the writers are reading every single word. I don't know why there's all the fluff and all the filler and why it has to be this grandiose sweeping thing to get people to take it seriously. We we'll take it seriously based on what's in it, not how many words are in it. Am I wrong, Chris? No. I mean, listen, I, I'm with you. I mean, it's just, didn't you just write a book though? Or didn't you just do something like that where you're talking about? Like, that's different. Okay. I'm not, I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I did two actually during the pandemic, but that's different than an article that I'm expecting someone to read in the middle of a work day. It can't be 4,300 words. No one's going to read it all. And then what happens is, and I think this is the common reaction, the human reaction. There is part of me that is still human. You read the first five or six paragraphs, and then you start scroll, 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 looking for something. Will you stop with that? (laughs) Scroll, 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 (laughs) and stuff jumps out. Quarterback of the uh, future. Listen. Uh, All right. Thank you. Uh, So they're they're trying to figure out what went wrong with the Eagles. Yes. And – like like anything else when dysfunction descends on a team the fingerprints are from everyone it isn't just one person that all of a sudden went haywire and everybody else sat back and said gee i wonder what's going on everyone's involved everyone's to blame and if you read all of it or some of it like i did you'll come to the conclusion that everyone's to blame but right. one of the one of the big takeaways is they never really treated Doug Peterson, reportedly, with respect. Going into his second season on the job, reportedly, anonymous sources, et cetera, et cetera, they were vetting, the thinking was, others on the staff like Jim Schwartz to take over if the Eagles struggled out of the gates. in Doug Peterson's second season as head coach, Chris. Well, I mean, and if you
2: remember, I mean... There was a lot of negativity around, you know, Doug Peterson, right? I mean, people speaking out about him, whether he should have that job and doing all that. It's what led to Jason Kelsey, you know, shoving it in everybody's face at the Super Bowl ceremony after they won it and everything. He listed off the people that doubted them. And, of course, a a number of those were were people that, that doubted Doug Peterson and what he could do. So it was a real thing at the time. It definitely, but they were doubting him from the inside. I, the I, call was coming from inside the house. Yeah, it's it crazy. I know. You're right. You're right. I, I mean, I, I don't know what to say to that. I Obviously, there was something there that they weren't sure about Doug Peterson early on in his career and whether he could get the thing going in the right direction. I don't know, you know, obviously. But he turned it around that year and, of course, went on a little bit of a run. But, you know, I'll always go back to what you said, just, you know, even after the season and even during last year, it was a really quick, dysfunctional demise of a Super Bowl team in a hurry. And, you know, for that to happen as quickly as it did, there has to be issues behind the scenes. I think that's the one thing, you know, you you can just come away with. There's no way it could fall apart the way it fell apart in Philadelphia that quickly without... You know, yes, like you already said, more than one person making a mistake, multiple mistakes being made behind the scenes as far as draft or free agency and stuff like that. And I think that's what we saw. We saw a perfect storm of, you know, bad decisions for, uh, from, the,
1: from the Philadelphia Eagles for a number of years. One thing that stood out to me, 2019 season, the Eagles go to Green Bay on a Thursday night, yeah. beat the Packers there. In hindsight, That was a significant win. At the time, it's week four. People don't realize how good the Packers were going to be. It was the only home loss they had all year year long. The The Eagles Eagles go in and get it done. So one of the things Doug Peterson reportedly, according to the 4,312 world opus, had to go in and answer tough questions, win or lose. And after winning that game, Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the team who is very involved, involved in the draft, watching film of the Senior Bowl and all the other pre-draft stuff and and, and rolls up his sleeves. And at least, hey, if an owner's going to be involved, at least he's putting the work in. But Lurie grilling Peterson after beating the Packers in primetime on why he didn't throw the ball more. And that speaks to the tension in Philadelphia and in a lot more teams, this doesn't get discussed very much. The tension between football, Chris, and analytics, because the analytics crowd has the ear of ownership more strongly than it has the than the coaching staff and the football people have the ear of ownership. The analytics folks are the guys who are getting the zones at Paisano's and bringing them in and having lunch with the owner every day. That's who they are. They are closer to the owner than the football people. And they come up with all the formulas and the justifications and they supply the owner with the questions that the owner asks as to why did you do this? Why didn't you do this? The analytics say you should do this. Why didn't you do that? That's why so many coaches are embracing analytics. Because if you don't, you get tough questions from the owner because the owner is acting on the things the analytics people are telling the owner that they should have done when the coach doesn't listen to analytics, Chris.
2: Well, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's part of football. I mean, it is. I, I hear these stories all the time, you know, after the year's over from coaches in football and things like that. It's part of the job now. Hey, come in on Monday morning, and now we're going to dissect every, every decision you made through analytics and tell you why, you know, you were wrong or why you didn't do this or that. And again, hey, listen, analytics are really important. I know that. But... They're not always correct. And being on the field and having, you know, a gut and having a feel for what's going on in that game and that specific moment, that specific matchup, all of that has to be taken into account. So, I mean, listen, it's the current state of the NFL. There's no doubt about it. There's value to all of that. I I understand that, you know, but, you know, at the same time, too, uh, you know, it don't go overboard. I guess that's what I'm trying to say here, too. And that's where you're seeing some of these teams and some of this conversation go, too, where it's just it's they're going to overanalyze every little decision, you know, a football team ma- makes. And, you know, going back to even that, like, you know, w- w- with the, the analytics to that Packers-Eagles game, Mike, I mean, throw the ball more? Wait, wait. You won by a touchdown in Lambo, And... You rushed on that day. I can remember the game. They steamrolled the Green Bay Packers. So... There was something wrong with that? That's where, I, you know, again, I don't understand, you know, always the second guessing of coaching right now, everything that way. They can never be right. And we never hear when the analytics were proven wrong. That's the other thing too. Hey, you didn't make the right decision. It didn't work out. The analytics said you should have done this. How about the analytics said they should have done this and I did that and it worked out. How about we never hear about that side of the story? But, I mean, come on. I, I just, it's, uh, I, I get sick of the analytics discussion
1: sometimes. I don't even know where I'm going with it. I'm sorry. But, Chris, you know, you know what eventually happens, and this is human nature. This isn't numbers. This is the way people operate. At some point, you become so beaten down. Yes. Yeah. You say either, I want out, or screw it. Screw it. You, you, you tell me. You put an analytics guy in my ear and tell me what play to call in every circumstance, and I'll call that play. Let's, if we're going to embrace it, let's do it all out. I'm not going to exercise any discretion. I'm not going to exercise any independent thought because anytime I do and it doesn't work, I get asked a question about why I didn't do it the other way. When I do it the other way and it doesn't work, nobody ever says, boo. At some point, you're just going to say, I almost said a bad word. Screw it. Yeah. I'm going to do it the way you're telling me to do it. Then I don't have to waste every Tuesday when I should be game planning for the next opponent answering a bunch of stupid questions about why I did the things I did after a game we won. Yeah.
2: Right, a game they won and a game they ran for over 150 yards in and anything like that. When I'm talking about that Packers Eagles game, that's specifically written about in that article, makes no sense. But it sounds like a lot of this stuff went went on, you know, as far as pressuring of numbers or what I want. You know, the other thing you take away from it, you know, more than anything, and the one thing you hear too is, yeah, they got away from the formula and which made their team successful and 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 helped them build a winner too, where. Yeah, okay, Doug Peterson, he had his issues and maybe mismanaged stuff, and he's got people, you know, dissecting every decision he made. Howie Roseman went the wrong way in some of his decisions and how he approached the draft a little bit. It's the one thing I've always heard consistently since last year's draft. I mean, Jalen Rieger, that first round pick, that was, uh, you know, from anybody you talk to in the NFL, it sounds like it was, that was Howie Roseman's pick. He he basically made everybody like. Hey, look, you look. Don't you like this guy? Don't you like him? Don't you like him? Say yes until I or I'll stop asking. Oh, you like him? See, yeah, they like him, guys. Hey, let's draft him. And that's I mean that's how I always heard the Jalen Rieger pick went down. So they've strayed away from what made them really really damn good, and hopefully they get back on the right track this year.
1: Roseman is described as the ultimate survivor in this article. And for good reason, he's been around the team for over a decade. He was exiled out of the football building or the football portion of the building by Chip Kelly and then ended up back in. Jalen Rieger, we can call it a Howie Roseman pick, but when you have an owner who rolls up his sleeves and is involved in evaluating prospects, does it does it take a huge leap to think that Jalen Rieger was actually a Jeffrey Lurie pick and that Roseman was just providing Part cover it for be. it You're and right. doing Could what be. the owner wants, right? Well, how many times do we talk about how the owner is in position where one of the billionaire privileges is you don't have to come out and say it? It never gets pinned to you. Hey, you don't that's... get perceived as a meddler. Right. Well, Jeffrey Lurie's a meddler. Jeffrey Lurie's the GM emeritus without the title, and he's exercising his right. If he's involved in watching draft tape and being involved in scouting prospects, yeah, Maybe Howie Roseman wanted Jalen Rieger because he thought Jeffrey Lurie wants Jalen Rieger. So that's another part of this. And that's why it's important, even if you have a Super Bowl trophy that you've earned while you've owned the team, it's important to give the keys to the people who who know what they're doing. I know it looks easy, and I got a lot of respect for Jeffrey Lurie and what he's done as the owner of the Eagles. I know it looks easy, but it's not. It's not. You got to defer to the people who know what they're doing, because when you start injecting yourself into it, it adds pressure to their existence and it makes it harder for them to do their jobs. And that may be why, at the end of the day, Chris, Doug Peterson couldn't wait to get the hell out of there because they weren't letting him do his job. It
2: sounds like it. I mean, it sounds like he was, you know, being pulled in every which direction and scrutinized and second-guessed in every which way, and he had had enough. He certainly didn't seem like upset at the end when it was all said and done. I'll I'll say that. he kind of. It seemed like it was
1: like, whew, I'm glad that's done with. Let's go to the next phase of my life. I mean, that's what it seemed get paid, like. Right. Get paid for a couple years to not coach the Eagles and not have to deal with that BS every single day from his perspective. Yeah, if It right. really was BS, right. but that's one of my takeaways from the 4,312-word article. Here's the other side of it. And I don't know how much of this you've picked up on. Yeah. But but it is not unique to the Eagles. This tension is throughout no. the NFL. And the the old-school football guys – don't know how to deal with it because they know that the owners have started these analytics departments with a bunch of ivy league grads who have greater access to the owner and the owner feels more comfortable communicating with them they speak a different language than the football guys do and the owner listens to the analytics and they're fascinated by this this scientific aspect of football that they hadn't really thought about before and the old school football guys don't know what to do. And one of the things you can do if you want to continue to be employed is submit. And I think a lot of guys have quietly done it because they know it's a fight they're not going to win. Just look at Doug Peterson. Yeah. You try to take on that fight, you're going to lose. Yeah. And you're going to lose your job. Definitely. I mean, you almost got no
2: choice. you got to embrace it. I mean, you have to. And again, there's great value in all of that. But, yeah, owners... People who don't have great knowledge of really what's going on on the football field and stuff, they're going to gravitate towards numbers. They know numbers; numbers speak to them. Oh, one billion, two billion. Okay, yep, I can count. That's right. So (laughs) they 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 they're they're good in that department, and of course, it makes sense. But you know, evaluating players, it's just more than that. You know, there is so many other things that go into you know than just a baseline number. There is so many factors that affect. A player's grade, the play that's called, things like that. I mean, again, you know. Oh, but the formulas take all that into account, Chris. No, they yeah. Take out all the, and you crap. can't and you can't question that. Don't question it. I know. Don't question it. I know. Don't you dare. And that that's uh, that's where there is smartest guys in the
1: room are going to come get you. Yeah, that's where
2: there's a disconnect right. in the league right now, like you're talking about between those old school guys and the people in the numbers department and everything like that. And it doesn't always match up. I mean, that's just the plain and simple fact of it. It does not always match up. But just because a guy's rated as the number one guy at this position or anything else like that, I mean, it doesn't mean he's number one. There's just so many other factors that go into it. So helpful, yes, but you can't just lean on it all the time or you're going to make mistakes. And, uh, yeah, Eagles, it's a huge year. It
1: really is. you going to be interested to kind of see the direction that team takes throughout this season. And if this reliance on numbers and analytics and formulas was foolproof, the draft would not be the crapshoot that it is. And the Jets found out the hard way three years ago when they made the all-in move, going from six to three, giving up three second-round picks right, there to jump up three spots. Sam Darnold, not the guy, not the franchise quarterback they've been searching for since Joe Namath. Darnold officially introduced yesterday as the new quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. He... Talk to reporters about the reality of the New York Jets deciding after only three seasons that they no longer wanted him. Here's Darnold from Monday.
2: Before the trade happened, I, I always thought that, you know, um, I could make it work in New York. Um, just being honest, um, you know, I really did. And um, like I said, I mean, my goal has never changed, even though there was speculation about me getting traded. <clears throat> I always, you know, believe that I can make it work and um, that we were going to get pieces and um, just be able to, you know, Win some games in New York and go to the playoffs and eventually win a Super Bowl. When I heard the news that they wanted to trade me, um, it was tough. You know, anytime you're not wanted somewhere, that's always, you know, a tough pill to swallow.
1: Yeah, look, th- that's how it worked. They wanted him until they didn't. And you know what? The Panthers want him until they don't. He should talk to Teddy Bridgewater about how you go from being wanted to unwanted in Carolina in one year. And that could happen. Even though his salary, when they pick up the option for 2022, will be fully guaranteed at $18.858 million, they still could decide after one year. Donald's not the guy. This is just the next stop in this never-ending quest by David Tepper, the owner of the team, to find a franchise quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater, didn't work. Sam Darnold, let's see what happens. If that doesn't work, we'll move on to the next guy. And that's what Darnold needs to realize. There's no grace period for him in Carolina. It's sink or swim. Because if you don't swim, you're going to go on to the next team. We're going to be having the same press conference. Unwanted by the Panthers. Now I'm wanted by whichever team he lands with Next. Probably not as a starter if this happens again yeah. after only one year, Chris.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, if he if it doesn't work out here, yeah, he's going to be relegated to to backup bill until he can prove himself as a starter again. But he's in the spot, I think that you know really is he's in a spot or a position to succeed and flourish. I do believe that. Again, I'm a believer in Sam Darnold. I think I, I for me, I've seen enough to think, hey, you can win with this guy. You could go to the playoffs. You can make a playoff run. He can do some damage that way. I think it's the perfect marriage as far as a player, how he fits in the offense, the skill set around him. I think there's a good opportunity here. We could see like a, a Sam Darnold, a.k.a. Ryan Tannehill-type career transformation where it's like the same thing. You just go, it wasn't really that bad in the last spot. It was a lot of crap around him, and as we know, that can lead to crappiness out of your play. And that's what happened to Tannehill with Miami. You know, so I would not be shocked if we saw a similar story there with, you know, that offense and some of those guys and what they're building there in Carolina. I mean, they 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 got it going. I like the moves they make and I'm happy for Sam Darnold. He's in a place that really wants him and I think he's got
1: the pieces around him to to kind of let it fly. And the difference is Tannehill was in Miami for seven years before the Dolphins moved on. Darnold's only been in the NFL three seasons. Yeah. He's still twenty-three years old. Right. He's got a long way to go. A lot of chapters left in his NFL book, bit. and 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 we, we could we could see where it goes. But but the cautionary tale is Teddy Bridgewater because they can quickly fall out of love with you in Carolina. For now, they are in love with him. Here's Matt Rule, coach of the Panthers, talking about his faith in his new quarterback, Sam Darnold.
3: We believe in Sam. We believe in uh, his skill set. We believe in his approach. Um, As you talk to people that know him, he's tough-minded, he's competitive, and, um, uh, you know, we're really hopeful that this will be, you know, a a great place for him, and this will be a tremendous time for him in his career.
2: Matt, what uh, physical skills still jump out to you when you watch Sam Darnold on tape, despite, you know, the the documented
1: struggles over the last three years?
3: Um, I I think... uh, when you see his arm talent, um, his ability to, you know, I think, I don't think there's a game that you watch where he doesn't make a play that uh, makes you say, oh, that, you know, there it is. I uh, can fit the ball into tight windows, um, can create with his feet. He moves around a ton. Um, you know, he uh, uh, creates plays with his legs, extends plays with his legs. Um, and then you, you can just kind of see and feel his grittiness and his toughness. So I think... Um, I think his arm talent, his movement are, are, are a great fit for uh, the players that we have here that he'll be playing with. I,
1: I still can't shed the memory of Matt Rule last year telling us how he's looking forward to coaching Cam Newton. But uh, yeah, look, it, it's Sam Darnold has not done enough to be dubbed a franchise quarterback. You can point to certain things, and you can pull out certain right. plays, and the Panther social media team's done a good job of it over the past few days of highlighting the good from Sam Darnold. The problem is this isn't like golf where you have that one good shot, or maybe it is. You get that one good shot around. You otherwise shot 150, but you had that one good shot. It's about having more plays that help your team than moments that hurt your team. Because in balance, you're judged not by being able to pull out a flash or two on film and say, hey, you made a good decision there. You got to make the good decision far more often than not. You got to put the team in position to gain yards, chew up the clock, score points more often than not. And clearly he wasn't able to do it. Whether it's his fault, the guys around him, the coaching, whatever, we're going to find out. The guy clearly has the skills to be an NFL quarterback. The question is, can he perform at a sufficient level on a consistent basis And how much of it, again, is him versus what was around him? We're going to find out. Great test. Great experiment. We'll find out this year. No, yeah, we are. We're going to find out a lot. And there's not going to be a lot of excuses. I mean,
2: there's there's not. You're right. There's talent. It's McCaffrey. It's Robbie Anderson. It's DJ Moore, who's a superstar receiver. You know, it's a pretty good offensive system. You know, their offensive line should be better. You know, they got a good right tackle in Taylor Moten. They got Greg Little, you know, they drafted a few years ago. Should be left tackle. Could they use some interior offensive linemen? Sure. But I just just think, you know, again, Sam Darnold was never put in a position to answer some of those questions, you know, that you're talking about, Mike. You're right. That's where it's tough with him. You know, it just wasn't a position to succeed and you can't realistically sit there and blame him for like, oh, hey, you're a rookie. Can you carry us and play perfect and make every perfect decision and then have to make like some amazing plays every game with not a lot of guys that are very good around you? Can you do that for us? And then maybe we can win or actually not even win, just be competitive. That's, that's really what he was asked to do, and that's where it's unfair. That's where it's, it's hard to, you know, evaluate him to a degree because of some of the bad spots he was constantly put in. But he's quick. He's really got great feet in the pocket. He can move around and throw under pressure because he's got a quick release and because of those feet, Mike. He is tough. You could see there even in that press conference, he's honest. He makes no excuses. You like that about him. And, you know – for for him personally, I mean, you know, listen, Mike, you look at Carolina, right? And where they're picking. And what are they? They're number eight, right? Eight. They could be in a spot where Sam Darnold, yeah, now that they have addressed the quarterback, you know, I don't think they're drafting a quarterback at number eight. That would be one of the dumber moves of the offseason if that happened. I'll just say that right off the bat. But they could be sitting there at number eight going, wait, we could take the top corner on the board. It's a big need for their football team. Or wait, is that Kyle Pitts on the board? Did any of those teams take Kyle Pitts yet? Oh, no? Okay, we'll add him to our offensive arsenal. And now you have that to go along with the two receivers and running back? I mean, they could be sitting there really pretty. Like, I'm I'm really excited about what Carolina is doing as a football team and how they've kind of orchestrated their roster.
1: Matt Rule said yesterday they're in a position now to take the best player yeah. available at number eight, which implies, look, you got some reaching for quarterbacks that happens at the top of the draft. We've talked about that a lot. Yes. The fact that the quarterback position is so important to winning and the longevity. If you get lucky with that lottery ticket that you scratch off and it says franchise quarterback, you've got the position solved for 10, 15, maybe up to 20. Years. One last thing about Darnold, though, with the Jets, yeah. and this is what Zach Wilson or whoever is going to step into. I think with each passing year, with each roll of the dice that fails, there's more and more pressure on the next quarterback to finally become the guy, and there's going to be a ton of pressure on Zach Wilson or whoever the second overall pick is, and yeah, it's a great market, and you're going to have a lot of attention, you're going to have off-field earning opportunities, but you got to get it done, and the patience isn't there like it used to be you got to get it done quickly or you'll be thrown overboard in three years just like Sam Darnold was because if the team continues to stink they're going to be back in position to get one of the best quarterbacks let's go scratch a new lottery ticket which is exactly what the Jets are going to do yeah no you're right and you know hopefully they're not
2: going to make that same damn mistake once again they've, they've tried to improve their offensive line They signed a Corey Davis in free agency to help out. Hopefully, that young quarterback. They do have Denzel Mims, who was a second-round pick last year, you know, to help out the wide receiving core. So we'll see where it goes. But yeah, you just hope, like for as you're a Jets fan, that history doesn't repeat itself. You're going to draft one of these guys in the top five. You got to make it happen. They can't just make it happen by themselves. And we've really seen that with all the great top quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. The majority of them have been surrounded by really good talent early on in their career, and that helps them build confidence, become a better player, and then lends them to being a superstar when they get in the middle of their career. And I just, uh, I hope Joe Douglas and company realize that, and I think they do.
1: As mentioned, the Panthers have the eighth overall pick in the draft, selecting ninth the Denver Broncos. We'll take a look at their draft needs along with the rest of the AFC West when PFT Live continues right after this.
0: Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispie Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.
1: Drew Locke, the Denver Broncos quarterback, second-round pick a couple of years ago, possibly on the outs in Denver, on the ins with Peyton Manning, working with Manning in the offseason in the hopes of presumably getting the most out of that talent that that made him a guy that Chris, you and I both thought could be a first-round pick. He slipped into round two. The Broncos were happy. The problem is he's been injured, and when he's played, he hasn't been effective to the point where the Broncos have been exploring their options this year at quarterback, but Whatever they do, if they keep Locke around, that's that's the conundrum. That's the challenge. You keep Locke around, who do you have with Locke? Do you want to give Locke a chance to win the job? That's why I think Teddy Bridgewater makes so much yeah, sense. Yeah, I hear you. You get Bridgewater a reasonable salary, right. there's still hope that Locke can get it all figured out. He's working with Peyton Manning in an effort to get it figured out. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, I, I think, first off, your thought's correct. Like, I, I'm with you. I think it's Teddy Bridgewater, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, You know, if and when he gets made available by the 49ers, that's the kind of guy that makes sense to me where, yeah, it's just not a guarantee that guy gets to come in and be the star. He's not to, you know, he's not to battle it out with drew lock, drew lock, as you've said, and as we've seen, I mean, it's, he's got talent. There's no doubt. I mean, he's a good athlete. His arm is live. He can make big time throws. What he needs is some Peyton Manning polish. Yeah understanding, you know, when to hold them and when to fold them. Oh, wait, there's three guys covering that guy on a 20-yard in-cut? Let me not try to squeeze it in there in a in a window the size of a keyhole. You know, hopefully Peyton can go, hey, listen, knucklehead, you know, check it down. Look at this guy. He's open underneath. Do that type of stuff. You know, that, that's where he just needs some nuance and understanding how to play the game and just realize it's not, it's not college and you can't just let it flow and spread offense anymore. Uh, that's where he really needs to be fixed, and, and hopefully he can do that or his butt will be on the bench.
1: So, Broncos can't leave draft weekend without what, Chris? I think
2: middle linebacker. I think that's what I look up. Stand-up middle linebacker would be the one area that, you know, I look at Vic Fangio and go, wait, he was with the 49ers. Awesome. Oh, that's right. Bowman, Patrick Willis. Right. Yeah, bam. Woo. Okay, it was with the Bears. Oh, they drafted Roquan Smith and had Denny Trevathan. Man, awesome. Boom. He doesn't have that in Denver right now. Sitting at number nine, I don't expect them to go quarterback. Maybe they do. But I would think that nine could be certainly a position maybe where they think about middle linebacker, the Micah Parsons from Penn State. He could be in that conversation for them and make sense, certainly a fit. But either way, I think it's a position that needs to be addressed, whether that's in the first round at nine or somewhere in the second or third,
1: Uh, they need that guy to, to kind of fill that void for the Fangio scheme. You know, one of the big mysteries of the Broncos this offseason was what they were going to do with the final year of Von Miller's contract. They've picked up the option. I still don't think that's over. Just because they guaranteed part of the salary doesn't mean he's going to be with the team this year or beyond. He's under contract for one more year. I think Edge Rusher needs to be on the radar I hear you for the Denver Broncos. George Payton, the GM of the team, came over from the Vikings. The Vikings were their best when they had a potent and deep rotation at pass rusher, also running back. Phillip Lindsey fell out of favor quickly. Uh, they've got Melvin Gordon under a higher-value contract, and one thing Payton was able to do with the Vikings, and we don't know who was making these calls and finding these guys, but they they had... Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison they had Mike Boone who who they couldn't keep around and Peyton brings Boone in quickly into Denver I, I trust Peyton's ability to find running backs in value positions in the draft and I think they're going to need a body that they can that they can have it cheap amounts so that maybe they can move on from Melvin Gordon after this year
2: no I, I think you're exactly right they got to think about the future with that position a little bit yeah they got a little depth of maybe not like that go-to guy go-to guy to look at for the future and yeah. Phil Lebensy, you know, we'll see. You know, he's the horror story of running backs in the NFL. He's the horror story. That's this is the guy where it's like, yeah, it was some good years early on, but he's a hundred and ninety five running back a hundred and ninety five pound running back who would run through a brick wall. And now it's like, oh gosh, he's falling apart a little bit. And that's what happened last year. So we'll see what they can get out of
1: him this year. Yeah, I mean, when you're that size and you keep running to a brick wall, eventually the brick wall wins. And I remember when we, we had him on site at the Super Bowl in Miami, I believe. And I was just, I was taken aback, and he didn't have that thickness that you typically see in a running back who's going to be in those car crashes, as you explain them all the time. You're just not going to hold up right. if you're not built that way. You're only going to be able to take so many of those hits before it's over. And we'll see how it goes for Philip Lindsay as he moves forward with his career. The Chargers, 13th overall pick, lucky number 13 on April 13. They got lucky last year with Justin Herbert. What do they need this year as Brandon Staley takes over as the head coach?
2: I, I think the the thing I come back to more than anything is offensive linemen and, and slash really offensive tackle. You know, they they do have the ability there in that first round pick to go best lineman available. A guy like Matt Filer, you know, he does have that ability on the Chargers who they signed from Pittsburgh to play guard or tackle. But I think ultimately what they need is that legit franchise left tackle. You know, yeah, just it's really again. The roster of the Chargers is pretty damn good. They were 7 and 9 last year and had some unbelievably dysfunctional losses. You know, when you really look at them, you go, "Wow. For a 7 and 9 non-playoff team, there's a lot to like and, you know, Derwin James didn't even play last year." So, I go back, I go back to Tackle as being the one I look at. Corner is certainly another one Mike you could probably highlight. I don't know, anything else jump out to you there with the Chargers?
1: Well, I, I no I'm with you on offensive yeah. line. Learn the lesson that the Bengals learned the hard way yeah, last right. year with Joe Burrow. Don't let Justin Herbert get in a situation where he's not available to play because he's been injured. Put the money, put the draft picks, put the time, put the effort into improving your offensive line and let Justin Herbert do his thing. It's it's that simple. Yeah. And their defense is good enough if they can just keep all their guys healthy. All right, the Las Vegas Raiders have huge turnover on the offensive line. 60% of their starting offensive line gone. What must they get this year in the draft, Chris? Well, I mean, it's front seven, front seven, front
2: seven, front
1: seven. I mean, that's
2: what they need. Difference makers in the front seven. I don't give a damn where they come from. Preferably, though, really probably middle linebacker. That's the one area they need. Hey, they're going to be running Gus Bradley, the Seattle scheme defense, you know they're in one of those things, the positions, and and I believe they're at pick seventeen, right? Where it's just go pick the best front seven player available, you know, for the for the Las Vegas Raiders. That that's what it comes down to. And whether the, I don't know if that's another pass rusher, you know, I don't know if there's going to be a defense, a tackle that you know is in that range. It's probably going to be maybe maybe the two defensive tackles, the kid from Washington and Alabama start to come into favor there, right? Uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, Mike, the linebacker from Notre Dame, who I've got a firsthand look at many times. He would fit that speed, Fred Warner, Darius Leonard, middle linebacker for that defensive scheme that would make a lot of sense. But I come back to that front seven, uh, you know, I don't know. You, you with me there? You think that's the spot too?
1: Yeah, that and the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. Trent Brown, Gabe Jackson, and Rodney Hudson are all con, you, you, you got your – franchise quarterback wondering what in the hell am I going to do this year to buy yeah, time to right. throw passes Mike Mayock is now entering year three as the general manager of the team they had Reggie McKenzie there. He got thrown overboard after one season with John Gruden. And, look, it's John Gruden's show. And one of the reasons that Mayock is the GM, quite frankly, is when Gruden's got final say, you can't pluck someone away from another team, at least under the rules that were in place at the time. You couldn't just go in and say, we want to hire your director of college scouting because Gruden's still got final say. Right. So— Mayock basically look I don't know how much of the board is Mayock how much of it's Gruden I suspect Gruden's got his fingerprints on everything they've had five first round picks over the past two years and I know it's a crapshoot, but it has not great. You know, Cleveland Farrell stands out, and I defended Mayock when he was the fourth overall pick. Did. And people were like, "What the hell, Cleveland Farrell?" I said, "Hey, one of the reasons that we don't know who Cleveland Farrell is is Mike Mayock wasn't here to tell us who Cleveland right. Farrell was in the run up to the draft, or he would have been on everyone's radar screen. But Farrell's got to turn into a good player, or it doesn't validate yeah. that that belief that you have in Farrell. And and you know, it was it was they they sold it as kind of a cultural thing, and yes, it'll be they a good totally leader." Did. I, you don't use a fourth overall pick on a guy no. who's going to become a good leader. That's what you use a fifth round pick on, Chris.
2: Right. I mean, really, that really. I mean, that honestly, you know, Farrell was the thirty fourth pick of the draft, not the fourth pick of the draft. That that was a reach. There's no doubt about it. You know, yeah, you know, the, the the pressure's on them a little bit. There's no doubt. You know, Jonathan now, Abrams.
1: Is it what? Wait, is the pressure on Mayock or is the pressure on Gruden? I think the pressure's on Mayock. I think the pressure isn't going to be on Gruden for I, a while because his buddy's not going to fire him. I, I, I agree. I don't think there's pressure on Gruden. I, I think there is pressure
2: on uh, more on Mayock because even, you know, just social media, the public perception, you, you listen to the Raiders fans and things like that, I, I feel like there is questions about that, and specifically the draft. And, I mean, you're right. You don't know where that fault really lies there a little bit. But, yeah, there's, just, there's been some questionable things. Hey, listen, Jonathan Abrams has good talent, but it hasn't quite worked out yet. He's all over the place on the football field. He's kamikaze. He's fun to watch, but he can mess up and do great or whatever. You know, they, they, they reached a little last year, but D- Damon Arnett, you know, is a top 20 pick. That was a guy I think, you know, myself, a lot of people just looked at it, it as like, hey, he's a good player. You know, you take him in the top 60 picks of the draft. I don't know about the top 20. So when you do those type of things, and Cleland Farrell, you know, and Henry Ruggs as the first receiver off the board, it wasn't really a special year, people start to, whoa, let's hone in here. Wait, what's the issue here? What are they doing? Where have they messed up? And uh, yeah, they got to get some of those guys to, to help them out, and they got to capitalize on this year's draft in a big way.
1: And this is an area with John Gruden where you reel in your ego just a little bit and you let someone else take the blame for for you know picks that your fingerprints are on but just go ahead and call them Mayock picks and then if this year doesn't work Mayock's gone and they find another GM to be the fall guy eventually for John Gruden if it doesn't work out Kansas City Chiefs do we even need to have a discussion what they well, need? Well, I mean, we did, know what the number we, one need. is. Did we not is. watch the Super Bowl? <laughs> the yeah. number one need is, as it is with the Chargers, protect the franchise, get offensive linemen. Yeah, I, I I don't think there's any doubt
2: about that. And specifically, it's tackles. They need a tackle. You know, they they, they signed Joe Tooney. That's great. You know, they they do have a, a Kyle Long coming back. That could help out. You know, uh, Tardy Deriff. How the hell do you say his last name? Lorette, Lorraine duvernay Tardif. He'll be back, so that does help out. But I think, you know, ultimately what we're talking about is, yes, they need a tackle. I don't know if that's going to be with pick 31 or at the end of the second round or whatever, but either way, it has to be addressed. There's no doubt about it. They don't have enough of them on the roster, and there's just not enough proven entities at that position on the roster. I would think that's something that has to be done.
1: Yeah, it was Eric Fisher, the first overall pick in 2013, who was cut after tearing an Achilles tendon in the postseason Mitchell Schwartz released as well and uh, we saw what happened see their Super Bowl without those guys there and without extra help for the tackles well and that's
2: where like can we put that graphic back up Kristen I mean here's a perfect example of like you know oh uh, you know again numbers don't always tell the story yeah Mahomes was sacked 13 times last year you'd think oh okay that was a pretty good year well I mean first off you look at the pressures that's way up so that's going to open your eyes but Also, within that, I mean, Mahomes hid the deficiencies there. How many times during the middle of the year, late middle of the year, were we going, holy crap was that bad pass protection yesterday? But we just don't even think anything of it because Mahomes makes a move and a slide and throws a sidearm laser 20 yards down the field. And we just go, oh, yeah, I forgot there was pressure on that play. He made that look so easy and fun.
1: And and gradually over time, quite possibly, he tears ligaments in the big toe of his left foot. Yeah, and when when you're running a mile. During the game. And he had ridiculous numbers in the Super Bowl. He had ridiculous numbers in the loss to the Raiders. When you're running that much before you throw the football, that's going to add to the overall wear and tear. You put those cleats on, they're tight on your foot. You step a wrong way. You start a problem, and then it just keeps building up and building up. By the end of the season, you may have turf toe. All right, let's take a break. In honor of the retirement of Juliet Animal, we're gonna take a look at the key players and the key members of the Patriots' dynasty over the past 10 years, not named Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. That's our draft on this Tuesday edition of PFT Live. We'll do it right after this. Tom Brady acknowledging in an article nearly as long as the one that was on The Athletic yesterday about the Eagles (laughs) sub- The contributions of Julian Edelman to the Super Bowl championships won together in New England. Three for Edelman, but six in all, obviously, for Tom Brady with the New England Patriots. So today's draft, the greatest members of the Patriots dynasty of the past 20 years, not named Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. Chris, you have a trivia question for me that I am resisting the temptation to look down and see what it is. All right, don't. Eyes forward, Sergeant. Here we go.
2: Edelman, we know how great he throws all those TD passes, everything like that. We remember the Danny Amendola one in the 2014 postseason. But who caught Edelman's lone regular season TD pass, okay? I'll give you some hints because it's not easy. It was two years ago. Remember that Philadelphia game Sunday afternoon in Philadelphia? Right? We ran the B roll of the play during earlier in the show.
1: I wasn't watching the B roll earlier. He
2: threw in the to show. a receiver with the initials P and D. Three. Pete Demolitis. Two. Uh, All right. Wrong dummy. No, it was uh, Philip Dorset. <laughs> no disrespect to Dorset. Sorry. Demolitus yeah. is the dummy.
0: Sorry. All, All right. right.
1: You get the first pick. Go ahead. Well.
2: Man. Okay. I mean, I I think the first guy I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Gronk. I am. I think Gronk is, is the guy that I'm going to put at the top of the list as far as most valuable other Patriot. I mean, it's the greatest tight end in the history of football. He was on a team that understood how to utilize mismatches better than any other team in the history of football. And I think with that combination and the fact that the guy was a beast in the pass game, an extra offensive tackle blocking in the running game, and of course became Brady's, you know, little, you know, comfortable blanket and guy he went to in a big moment, no matter what it was, I think I Gronk is the guy, even though it wasn't a real long, long career it was a real impactful career, and uh, you know I think he made his mark up there for sure.
1: And look, it it wasn't all offense, especially in the early years. Yeah, it was defense. Right. And if we're going all the way back to two thousand one, as we are, I got to go Richard Seymour. Yeah, good for Richard you. Richard Seymour w- w- was the you could argue even more important. Aspect of those teams than Tom Brady, he was still kind of feeling his way along right. and establishing who he was going to be as a quarterback. Seymour, heart and soul of the team that won three in the first uh, four years of that dynasty.
2: Yeah, that's a great one, and that that really that was one of the guys I was kind of sitting there him and hawing about as far as who I should take. He's a Hall of Famer, Richard Seymour. He is a Hall of Famer. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He's unbelievable. That's where stats lie. It's not about the stats with that type of player. I'd like to see, you know, him get in eventually. I think my next one, you know, I'm going to go back to that era too. I am. I'm going to go to Ty Law. I think Ty Law is, you know, another guy I look at and go, well, first off, they don't win the first Super Bowl without Ty Law. Pick six to the house, his ability to cover Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt and be, you know, on an island on certain plays and do that stuff. Ty Law was You know, big time for their football team, let alone he was the guy that they entrusted to, hey, can you stop Marvin Harrison when Peyton comes to town and the Colts and do that type of stuff? You know, he's a phenomenal football player. Another guy that I look at as a a Hall of Fame talent. And really, you talk about like, there's another defensive guy you could bring up and go, why didn't he win Super Bowl MVP? Why? I mean, how big of a play? It was the greatest offense we ever saw in the history of the planet. And he had a pick six and they held him to 10 points. That's still crazy to me.
1: And I remember that one AFC championship game where he picked off Peyton Manning three times. I mean, yes, he eventually got into Canton and should have, and he was a key member of the defense the first half of the Patriots dynasty. Another key member of the first half of the dynasty and a guy who was directly responsible with the points generated by his toe – i got to go Adam Vinatieri. I mean, they won those first three games I know. by three points yeah, each. right. And they get into the first Super Bowl by virtue of the kick that was made in the snow globe in regulation and then the kick that was made in the snow globe in overtime. And even though he left after the 2005 season, went to the Colts and was with the Colts actually longer than he was with the Patriots, he's always going to be remembered as a member of the Patriots and his contributions to those those far narrower than we remember Super Bowl victories. They they need to be acknowledged. Yeah, no, yeah, agreed. He was. I wrote him down too. I mean,
2: I'm with you. You know, I mean, it's, he, he's a part of the the fabric of that that organization. I mean, ice through his veins. Clutch. He kind of just he fit everything we thought about them. You know, he just always thought like, oh. Here it is, a big moment, okay, Belichick will call the proper play, Brady will make the proper throw, and Vinatieri will make the proper kick to send you off to your locker room as a loser. See you later, next contestant up to go against the Patriots. I mean, that's really what it was like. I mean, it was. Man, I'm I'm stuck here. There's some good ones on the board. I mean, there really is. Vince Wilfork, Dante Hightower, Brewski, Rodney Harrison, Stephon Gilmore. I mean, how Gilmore is really the guy I want to go to next because I didn't expect, but I got to go with Julian Edelman. I'm going with Edelman. Yeah, Edelman to me, just he stands for everything that the Patriots are about. Yeah, you know, unknown guy, fighter, finds his way onto the roster. Johnny Tryhard continues to get better and better carves out a niche for the football team, you know, and then becomes really awesome at what he does for the football team. You know, I mean, he just, to me was part of the aura of the Patriots and kind of like what we just talked about. The second life of the Patriots was like, okay, well, Belichick's going to call the right play. And, Brady's going to make the right throw, either to Gronk or Edelman, and you're going to lose, and you're going to go to your locker room as a loser. Next contestant up. I mean, that's just how it felt. Edelman, toughness, special teams, punt returns, trick plays, whatever. He's a patriot for me all the way.
1: And, you know, you you, you think of guys like Randy Moss and Wes Welker. I know. They they didn't want a Super Bowl with either guy on the team. They did not. I I feel bad. Yeah, I mean, they had that 10-year gap between Super Bowl wins. Edelman was there for the final three. Neither Moss nor Welker were there for the first three. So I thought about them, but I'll let them go. I'm going to go back to the first half of the dynasty again, and I know we're conflicted here because he's our colleague. But Rodney Harrison was the guy that, that really helped take that defense to another level. Yeah, and I've been around right. where you hear the stories about how competitive – the defensive players were with each other and how they held each other accountable on top of Rodney's skill the thing he brought to the table was just the intense desire to do everything necessary to win football games and Belichick has has lauded Rodney Harrison is the greatest practice player that the team's ever had and how do you get ready for Sunday you go out there and bust your ass every opportunity you get I've heard Rodney tell the stories about hey that they used to be competitive about hydrating who could drink their water the fastest who would drink more water everything that was a building block to succeeding on Sunday Rodney was all in for every single little thing because he knew that every single little thing led to being in position to win on Sunday and ultimately being in position to win Super Bowls. And he got two of them with the Patriots. He arrived after the first one, key part of the defense in the next two arguably could have been the Super Bowl 39 MVP against the Eagles.
2: Yeah, no. And I mean, listen, was great on the team that went undefeated and lost to the Giants. I mean, hey, he's Rodney was amazing. He, He is, he's all Patriot DNA. There's no doubt about that. You know, we, we see that with the way he acts and, you know, added to that, he was kind of the, you know, lawyer lawyer replacement. And that like ended that conversation altogether. But, yeah, when he got there, their defense went to another level. And I'm glad you picked him because I didn't want to be beat up by him or have to see you get beat up by him when we when we get around him in the fall again. Hey, so that's good.
1: I picked him. You didn't. <laughs> you don't get any of the credit. You had three shots. You didn't pick him. I picked him. All right, let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFT Live right after this. There, there it is, Paul Blart Mall Cop, the guy who played Paul Blart, Kevin James, will play Sean Payton in the movie Home Team, a Happy Madison production that will debut and live on Netflix. It's a story of what Peyton did during his suspension in 2012. He helped coach his son's youth football team. The Saints responding to the Falcons' treatment of the situation. The King of Beating Atlanta, the longest-running show in Atlanta. Social media <laughs> crews having fun. I don't know about Kevin James playing Sean Payton though, Chris. That's I, I I don't see it. I I think Kevin. I, don't, I haven't
2: seen a picture of Kevin James. I mean, if it's like he's going to have to lose a little weight, I think from the King of Queens a lot. days. all right? to do that. But I know he loves football. You know, I think he was actually a pretty good ex football player himself. So that could fit. And, uh, I'm kind of excited
1: to see it. Filming starts later this year. It'll probably be on Netflix next year. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a great day. See ya.
0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh,